Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Mike, we have an announcement to make today. That's right, Tothy. Big changes are afoot for Sound Practice Podcast. Mm-hmm. We are now part of the, wait for it, Tothy, American Association for Physician Leadership. That's right. The American Association for Physician Leadership, or AAPL, is the world's premier organization for physician leadership, and it acquired Green Branch Publishing earlier this year. Listeners as old as we are, Tothi, may remember American College of Physician Executives, the ACPE. It offered a certification that physicians could attain after completing a curricula of business and leadership courses. Well, the ACPE changed its name a few years back and is now the AAPL. That's right. And since early summer, the AAPL has been integrating all the great stuff by Green Branch, the books, uh, fast practice, journal of medical practice management, all that content. And now this episode marks the official integration of the Sound Practice podcast into AAPL's professional development offerings. And I, Mike, am super excited about this because our focus is going to shift now to cover broader topics in healthcare and leadership and wellness. I too am excited, Tothi. And you're right, we're going to be shifting our focus away from the practicalities of practice management and operations. We're going to be looking towards larger issues that physicians in hospitals, health systems, and physician organizations are dealing with. Yeah, and there's no better guest to tell us about all this and um, talk about why physicians must be involved in leading healthcare change than the CEO and president of the AAPL, and that is Dr. Peter Angud. You and I had a great interview with Dr. Angud recently. He has been a leader in the Joint Commission. Um, He was with GE Healthcare for a while. He's also been involved in some significant projects at the World Health Organization. Really interesting guy. Absolutely. He is definitely what you would call a heavy hitter, Tothi. Indeed. And he had so much good stuff to tell us that let's just get right to our interview with him. Good plan. Here's our interview with AAPL's Dr. Peter Angood. Our guest today is nationally recognized physician leader, Peter Angood. CEO and President of the American Association for Physician Leadership. Welcome, Peter. We're so glad to have you on Sound Practice today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'd also like to welcome you, Peter. This is going to be a great uh, time here. Yeah, and today we're talking about physician leadership, and we couldn't ask for a better guest than you, Peter, because not only have you been in leadership roles for decades, you also head the nation's premier organization for developing physicians into leaders. And uh, so I thought maybe, why don't you give us a quick overview of the AAPL and the work the organization does? Great, well, you're very kind with your words, so thank you so much for that. But uh, this organization is, is a wonderful organization in so many ways. You know, we take on the uh, philosophy that at some level, all physicians are leaders. And so that is in the same way in which we approach all of our programs, products, and services. How do we help the physician and uh, all of their team really assume some of those responsibilities around leadership. So we have a whole host of educational programs, 
a wide variety of professional development initiatives, uh, strong wellness initiative, a whole cadre and cache of information resources, a strong community, and really all of this is nicely glued together with a technical platform that we've really uh, custom built and implemented ourselves over the course of time. So it's really a robust and thriving organization that fits nicely into the current healthcare industry's uh, complexity. I'm excited to learn more about about that, but I think it would be helpful sequentially for our listeners to know a little bit about your background. So I was supplied with your, your bio here, and it is quite impressive. Dr. Peter Angood, Senior Executive Leader in Healthcare uh, for decades. Since 2011, he's held the role of CEO and President of AAPL, and prior to that, Peter was vice president with the Joint Commission, where he was the first chief patient safety officer and oversaw the national patient safety goals, as well as other enterprise-wide international patient safety initiatives. Yeah, and Peter, you've also held senior advisor for patient safety roles for both the National Quality Forum and National Priorities Partnership. And you've been the chief medical officer with the patient safety organization of GE Healthcare. And through all these engagements, you've worked intermittently with the World Health Organization too. So including that that included your involvement in the early stages of the WHO Collaborating Center for Patient Safety Solutions. This is an incredible body of work, a lot of it around patient safety, which has been this nice theme. And I'd love to hear the story about your journey from the exam room to the conference room, as it were. How did, you, how did it all unfold for you to move through that, you know, this, this body of work to where you are today as a physician executive? Well, again, you're very kind with your words and thank you so much. But, uh, you know, career development is a, a fascinating journey for all of us. And uh, sometimes it comes through by being well prepared and other times it's uh, luck and circumstances. But, uh, you know, I started my life Uh, in surgery, and I followed the clinical discipline of trauma surgery and surgical critical care. And and both of those are very multidiscipline oriented and very much uh, systems oriented. Uh, For a healthy trauma center to work, you have to really be uh, thinking through from the pre-hospital environments all the way out to long-term rehab and long-term care environments. And similarly, in the ICU environments, uh, the, th- the flow of an organization's uh, patient care oftentimes is uh, dependent on what's going on in the ICU. And so how do you move those patients in and through? So while I thoroughly enjoyed all of my clinical time and the patients that I was uh, privileged to look after, uh, what I found myself uh, thinking about more as I got into mid-career was how to create smoother, more efficient systems that are of better quality and more safety oriented. And those two clinical disciplines really uh, kind of drove me into that type of mindset. And as, as I got into that mid-career, I then, uh, in part through my academic involvement, had become engaged with a variety of professional societies. My uh, recognition on the national scene gradually had increased. And so I was very fortunate to be asked to become the first chief patient safety officer at the Joint Commission. And that, that was one of those very enlightening uh, career shifts that uh, really opened my eyes to the complexities of healthcare on a national and international level. 
And it was also reassuring, though, in that uh, globally, you know, healthcare is uh, somewhat similar. Uh, it's obviously different in different countries and different regions of the world. But, you know, people are people and diseases are diseases. So we tend to react similarly. But the culture of an uh, international arena versus the resources available is what makes the difference between our U.S. domestic-based healthcare and how other countries are dealing with it. But that uh, involvement, both nationally and internationally, through the Joint Commission and in those other entities that you described, uh, really opened my eyes and um, it further consolidated my sense of the complexity of our industry and uh, how difficult it will be and is still to continue creating change. And so while it was uh, very satisfying to be in that policy development and implementation uh, arena, I also recognize that there truly is this gap between the policy levels and the front line of healthcare. And so I was really more intrigued about how to work in that gap zone. And as uh, things moved along for me and this opportunity came forward, uh, this organization really is one that, that moves comfortably in that gap zone. We have incredible membership and uh, involvement with a whole variety of healthcare systems at that front line, but we're also very well recognized uh, on the policy level and uh, at that development level, if you will. So we have a reach in, inside of both aspects of the gap zone. The, the policy side and the front line. And that, that's what makes this organization just so fascinating, uh, not only to work within, but also to continue to gradually uh, exert its influence and expand its in influences uh, with inside of the industry. So thank you for the question. Well, your, your answer is fascinating and it, it shows your, your path and how things have changed in, in your career. But at the same, thing, at the same time, things are changing elsewhere. And I guess I'd like to focus the next question on hospitals, healthcare organizations, health tech companies, or now we see putting physicians into executive positions. What's your take on this? And can you speak to general trends in this area? Sure, you know, it, it, it's interesting how the industry is in some ways going for full circle and engaging and involving the physicians in leadership roles for um, decades, even arguably centuries, uh, the healthcare industry was focused on the physician, the physician-patient relationship, and how does everything move in and around that. In the relatively recent past, the physicians had wound up being uh, a little bit marginalized in some of the ongoing evolution and development of uh, the complexity of today's healthcare not by any purposeful intent of any portion of the industry. It just kind of was a sequence of events that gradually occurred. And then as uh, we've been trying to improve the industry over the last decade, decade and a half, even more so, uh, there's been this recognition that if you have the physicians engaged more tightly, better integrated into the systems of delivery, then those places tend to behave a little bit better. When you add on the layer of uh, formal education and experiences in terms of leadership and management, then those organizations uh, improve even further over and above uh, others. 
some studies have, have gone so far as to demonstrate that when a physician is a CEO of a healthcare delivery system, some of the quality metrics that are well recognized are as high as 25 and 33% better than other comparable institutions. Why does that occur? Um, well, if you think about it, you know, the physicians in inside of all of the clinical disciplines are those that are educated and trained to the highest academic level in terms of understanding people and diseases and management. Uh, they're now getting better exposures into the management of health and population health as well. But that uh, detailed understanding of people and disease management, health management, and how to improve the quality of care is fairly unique to physicians. So when you layer on that leadership and management component, um, that really brings added value into any healthcare delivery system in terms of being able to better perform. Non-clinical administrators and, and leaders are certainly excellent and they certainly get good training and expertise, but most will readily admit they can't compete on that direct patient care aspects that, that physicians are, are so comfortable with. And so it's um, an added advantage. Uh, some of the other clinical dis disciplines, certainly nursing and pharmacists, also experience some of those added benefits if they uh, choose to go into leadership and management roles. But it still seems that the physicians have the, the most added advantage and therefore the greatest contribution to the improving the quality and efficiency and safety of organizations as well as their overall business operational uh, successes. Well, and I think that that's, um, you know, you mentioned the gap zone previously about this, you know, the, the front line and policy, and that's where physicians really, in my experience in working with them, you, you mean you you always want to have the physician's input on every step of that process that you've mm -hmm. mentioned, and it's so important because of the training, and they've got to be an integral part. Um, you've said that uh, you mentioned in your intro too that all physicians are leaders. I've heard you say that before as well. Can you expand on that in terms of? how they can fit into this gap zone and the process and, and how they participate in, the, um, in these organizations. Sure, thank you. You know, it's consistent over time when uh, the general public is surveyed and polled on which um, types of professions and which industries they trust the most and which ones they trust the least. Uh, the health uh, industry oftentimes comes up on the top of the list of most trusted and within that, uh, the physicians and the nurses, but usually the physicians wind up being the most trusted. And so our society continues to expect the profession, the medical profession as a whole, to uh, be a leadership profession. And I think that's in part because uh, certainly the history and the trajectory of how healthcare has evolved uh, with that patient-physician relationship being the pivotal aspect uh, but it's also so intimate and personal that people need and want to trust the uh, medical profession and certainly their physicians. So that inherent trust and belief in the physicians uh, and the healthcare industry is why I go on to say, well, you know, at some level, all physicians are leaders because that's expected of them. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and go ahead, sorry. No, I, I was going to ask when, when it comes to those, you know, this, this feeling that the public have of 
physicians being leaders, what are some of the characteristics beyond them just being a physician that make, that, you know, that, that, uh, that, that um, make the public see them as successful? And what are the characteristics you find make physicians successful leaders? Sure. Well, part of it's just, you know, the, the baseline kind of personality that goes into healthcare and physicians are, you know, highly intelligent, they're altruistic, they're idealistic, and they have this drive to want to help and care for other people. And that oftentimes comes across uh, when they're dealing not only with the patients and their practices, but it also comes across in their beliefs as they're trying to help create uh, change inside of whatever system they're working, whether it's their individual practice, whether it's a hospital, whether it's a larger scale delivery system, or even if it's outside of, of the formal clinical delivery side, you'll often hear those physicians saying, you know, what's best for the patient, what's going to give the best results, what's optimal care, et cetera. And people who are receiving care will pick up on that the vast majority of the time. Are, are physicians perfect people? Absolutely not. Are we perfect in the delivery of all of our care all of the time? Absolutely not. But compared to others, that interpersonal relationship is picked up upon by patients and their families, and there's an expectation that that high quality of professional can help them in a time of need, whether it's a devastating illness or whether it's just a general wellness uh, uh, checkup. You know, you just even want to be reassured, hey, yeah, I am really still healthy today. So there's just that inherent trust that we need to continue to build off. Can you think of a, an example or story where it was either you or one of your colleagues where a physician demonstrated that uh, ability to build trust with a patient in some sort of a difficult time? Well, you know, it, it yeah. happens. Yeah, thank you. It, it happens every day in our clinical environment. Someone shows up in your office or practice setting and you know, you've looked at the roster of patients that you're going to see that day and you kind of think, well, okay, it's whatever. It's blood pressure checks, it's diabetes control, or it's injury management. But out of the blue, many times in the course of an afternoon's clinic, one or two patients will just help you pause in your care and say, you know, I'd just like to talk to you about something else. And it's that inherent trust that they cue on, that they feel they can and want to share some more intimate aspects of their life that they need or want some help with. So that's, that's you know, in the routine kinds of daily mm -hmm. care. But then as well in the acute emergency settings when you don't have any choice as a patient, you know, somebody's just hit you with their car and now you're hurting all over or some bad element of your diseases are making you have a stroke or a heart attack, et cetera. You didn't have a choice in that happening. And so you show up for urgent and emergent care and you are giving yourself up to that care provider and that system. And again, the patients are sharing in such intimate ways that that trust and that bond is, is really just inherently there. And so the the care providers and physicians in particular are very respectful and, and often feel very privileged at being able to participate in those types of exchanges. And, and I'll, I'll go one step further and you ask any physician, even in their personal lives and their social settings, however they're living their life, 
more often than not in the course of a day or a week, um, their neighbors or their friends or just somebody at the health club stops them and asks them opinion about some element of healthcare because they're viewed as trusted resources. So that, that it's a part of how physicians live their lives. Great. I love this theme of trust, empathy, drive, all those great characteristics. Peter, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be back and talk with you a little more about the advice you have for physicians and how they might you leverage some of those innate traits and uh, develop their skills as physician leaders. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Peter Angood. And we're back with our guest, Dr. Peter Angood, CEO and president of AAPL. Peter, what advice do you have for those physicians who want to augment their career or, or transition in, in some way into to management or leadership roles? They want to move at least in part from, as I think uh, Tothi said, from the exclusively the exam room uh, to, to the conference room. Sure. And, you know, well, if we continue on this theme that at some level all physicians are leaders, uh, you know, there isn't, unfortunately, that much exposure inside of the medical school training or their specialty training around leadership or management. Uh, more and more, the younger trainees are recognizing they need and want that, but the curricula change inside of medical schools and residency programs is, is slow to change. So there is this need that uh, physicians will often recognize, even if they're, uh, it's a diminishing number, but even if they're in a solo private practice, they still have to run their office. They still have to have their staff helping them. They still have to look after, you know, paying their bills and all those other sorts of things. But that element is something that you gradually get more savvy with than people get mentors and they've got excellent staff. They help to move everything along and, and the physicians learn from those folks. However, for those who begin to get an itch that they want to do more inside of their clinical delivery system, whether it's a larger practice environment or it's the hospital setting or it's a system or even some of the post-acute care settings that are out there these days, healthcare is being delivered in so many different environments, and it does need further inputs from physicians in order to improve their, their efficiency, their safety, their quality, all those aspects. And so as a physician starts to think that way, it's incumbent initially to recognize, you know, I may not have the actual skill sets to really and truly succeed. So a first step after that awareness is to then try to get engaged in uh, committees or different types of task forces or an, an initiative that's trying to launch some type of new activity in their environment and then just get a feel for how comfortable that type of engagement is or is not. Some folks uh, really don't want to pay any attention to administrative work and others begin to really thrive on it. And if someone starts to recognize I want to thrive and do well and that I've got an important voice to contribute, then I think it's incumbent to get some true added skills. And there's a whole variety of management topics out there, you know, basic finance, accounting, HR, those kinds of topics. 
And then there are leadership aspects that really uh, need to be moved along from uh, core baseline personality. And, you know, there's, there's a whole variety of leadership competencies out, that, out there that people should think about in terms of proactively trying to address. And we actually offer some psychometric assessment strategies for folks so they can get a better sense of what their skills are and where their strengths are and then how do they build off of those and, and really leverage what their capabilities are. But as folks get a better sense of, of their skills, their interests, and their aptitudes, then they can gradually go beyond that committee engagement and seek out those opportunities, even in their home environment, to take on more administrative tasks, to assume more responsibility, not only of helping the system they're working in uh, improve, but also how do they take on more responsibility for influencing other people inside that system and how do they take on more responsibility in terms of terms of managing the resources available in order to create the changes that whatever initiative they've taken on that is needed in order to succeed as people keep moving along this progression then it's important uh, on occasion to seek a mentorship but certainly as a minimum to seek feedback. I mean, hey, am I doing well? Am I not? What can I do better? Those sorts of things. And then depending on how the feedback's going, continue on some course of further professional development, expanding their exposures, and uh, really look at how to you know, proactively develop themselves. Uh, physicians historically uh, you know, have been trained to be autonomous, independent-minded thinking people. And so, increasing their personal awareness and then seeking input from others and trusted resources like mentors or whatnot is, is critically important, but it sometimes is a step for a physician to think through, how am I going to do this? And the last stage in all that for some is, well, maybe I should have some executive coaching as well to sort of help me move along. If, if their drive to create significant change and participate in leadership roles is strong enough, then for some, that executive coaching piece is, is just kind of that added benefit that really helps them shine even further. That fascinating description of how one goes about preparing him or herself. Do you find that it is age or experience dependent, or would you recommend that, depending upon a physician's inclination, that he or she may begin down this path towards leadership and developing these skills at any point in his or her career? Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks. You know, um, I mean, there, it's part of the age old question, are leaderships born or are they educated and trained? And the answer is a bit of both. Um, there are clearly individuals who have just innate leadership skills and talents and uh, they'll progress through fast. Uh, but if you think about it as well, uh, medical education and the training and then getting an early career off the ground, that's a long process. People aren't entering into their real jobs until their early 30s. And then they are also trying to, you know, get um, a relationship going. They've taken on debt. They may or may not um, have kids going, et cetera. And so that 20s and 30s is a complex time in their lives. And so a lot of folks wind up thinking about 
leadership and management roles beginning in the mid to late 30s, but more typically in the 40s and 50s. However, we also, uh, you know, in this philosophy of uh, all physicians are leaders, we try to make sure we've got offerings from early student days all the way through to whatever folks are doing later in life. And so it's not uncommon for someone who's in their 60s or even in their early 70s saying, you know, I, I'd like to give back into the system a little bit more. Let me get more engaged with that leadership and management stuff. I've also had the, you know, the 30-year-old the come up to me who says, you know, I'm halfway through my surgery training. I've already got my MBA and, and my startup is doing pretty good. Uh, what more can I do here? And I look at that kind of a person and say, well, I think you're doing pretty darn good already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so they're all over the spectrum, but um, and, and you just, we just don't know when they're going to plug in. But a lot of it's the aptitude, the drive, their motivation to want to create change that helps them seek out these added skill sets that they don't get in their training. Well, and I, I think this is a great segue to talk about the AAPL and what you offer at all these different points in you know the practice life cycle. And so tell us a little bit about the mission and your vision for the AAPL. You know, what do you offer physicians and how, how can physicians get involved? Just give us a good flavor. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Well, at the end of the day, you know, our true purpose is to really try to create uh, larger scale change in healthcare. And we're just so privileged to have the platform of physician leadership in order to do that. And as we said at the beginning, you know, it's more and more being recognized that physician leadership is uh, essential for better performing healthcare delivery to occur. So as we think that through, uh, for us, it's not all about what's best for the physician and the physician workforce uh, environment. It's actually how do we create change in healthcare? Mm -hmm. So in order for physicians to better succeed, they do need more education. And uh, we offer up you know, 100 plus different courses. Uh, we do that in live events online, and we do it also on site specifically at uh, delivery systems of all sorts of, of sizes and types. Um, we have our uh, host of uh, what we call academies. These are special focus areas like the Chief Medical Officer Academy, etc. Uh, we have a number of those that we keep expanding upon. Uh, we have our well-recognized Certified Physician Executive uh, program. That's about 150 hours of coursework and then a really transformational capstone event that happens at the, at the end of that. Uh, that uniformly all of the participants say, man, that just changed my life. And, and they have lifelong friends as a result of that experience. But we also recognize that some folks would uh, like to have a master's degree. So we work with five university partners and have uh, seven master's degrees that we offer up there as well. All of that's on the education side. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, we have professional development services and that involves some um, for those who are inclined, we've got about a dozen different psychometric assessment tools that, that we utilize. Our education programs are competency-based and they're uh, from novice to advanced and master type level of experience. And those competencies that I just mentioned are also embedded in some of these psychometric assessment tools so that we're able to help people see and understand who they are, but then how do we direct them towards their education. But Beyond those psychometrics, we've got everything from simple educational counseling to career counseling, 
you know, even the hardcore stuff of, hey, how do we do a better resume, cover letter, LinkedIn profile? How do we do better interviewing? And then there's a mentorship matching program, the executive coaching that I mentioned. And professional development is tough these days. Uh, so many people are feeling a little frustrated out there. So we have a whole suite of services around wellness. We take on a holistic wellness uh, approach in there as well. But not everybody wants to be educated all the time. Not everybody's looking for a new job, et cetera. So um, the third element in there is really the information resources. People want the information. So we've got a couple of different journals, a few different newsletters. We've got a whole cadre of books out there. And then we've got all of the social media activity uh, churning along as well. So. Uh, the three elements of, you know, education, professional development, information resources are all there. And to help drive that sense of community around physician leadership, as I mentioned at the beginning, we've really built in a very robust technology, um, and we call it our platform, but it really helps to integrate all aspects of an individual as well as a cohort of individuals together in terms of how do you manage your, your profile? How do you target the career that you're wanting? How can we help you target and move along that career trajectory? And then what education do you need in there? What peer-to-peer -peer interactions do you need in there? How do you find your jobs or your next jobs? And then what information? All of that stuff is right there at their fingertips. This is far more robust than any sort of... Uh, social media community that's out there. And it's certainly much, much different than a, an educational learning management system that you see in many of the universities. So this technology platform really brings all three components together, drives the community, helps you find and network others who are like-minded as you. And you can do that anywhere across the country. And um, so all of that together, uh, really, really helps us service the physician workforce. But as well, we are doing more and more in terms of helping the different organizations where physicians are working. And how do we help those organizations better manage their medical staff? And so whether that's a group practice, again, a hospital or a healthcare delivery system, it, it's uh, really a very robust offering in that fashion as well. And then thirdly, we uh, collaborate pretty heavily and we do that with a wide variety of other professional medical societies. And more and more we're doing a significant amount of work within the interprofessional arena and working with nurses, pharmacists, other uh, clinical disciplines, and even a variety of the health uh, I'm sorry, the hospital associations and uh, medical societies at the state level and at the, at the national level. Now, rounding it all out, and, and I'll be quiet for you, is the fact that uh, we do have um, membership in 40 or so different countries around the world. So um, healthcare is, as I said in the beginning, similar about 80% of the time. But leadership and management is very transferable into other countries. And so we're gradually on the cusp of, of going more and more internationally. And we've got several initiatives that we've completed already, but uh, we're very well recognized in the international arena as the go-to organization for this type of work. The international, the international sounds very exciting. Um, I know Mike's gonna, has a question to wrap things up, but I'm curious as a follow-up, there was one thing you said in, 
in all the different services. You've got the live, you've got the on-site, you have the platform with all kinds of personalization and, and online learning, it sounds like. You mentioned wellness courses, and since that's such a hot topic right now for physicians and, uh, and anyone in healthcare, but in particular physicians, tell us a little bit about the wellness programs or education, or what is it? Is it a, how do you help physicians with wellness, I guess is the question at AAPL. Sure. Well, thank you. And, you know, as, as we know, it's not just the physicians. The healthcare workforce is struggling with a lot of these issues, and it's in part because of the complexity of the systems that we utilize to deliver care. But, you know, in and around 50% of the physicians are feeling some element of burnout symptoms uh, or significantly depressed or even suicidal. And an unfortunate statistic is that about 400 physicians commit suicide every year. And in order for us to tackle that, we, one, have to recognize, well, half of the workforce is happy and they're successful and they're doing well. Uh, we have to help the individuals who are struggling a bit, recognizing that um, it's not necessarily them. This is not about becoming more resilient. It's not about just doing more yoga or patting the dog or going for a walk. There's other components here. And so we're trying to take more of a holistic wellness strategy and say, you know, you're already an incredibly strong individual. Let's help you get stronger, but also recognize that the systems you're working in are difficult, they're complicated, they need to be changed. So get engaged with trying to help create change in the system, but manage your expectations for that change to occur rapidly. Change will occur slowly, and if you come at it in a more balanced, contributory sort of fashion, you'll get better results in your change strategies, but you'll also feel better about it as you engage. Obviously, looking after your personal health is important, and spending time outdoors and being able to contribute and participate with your family more strongly, et cetera. Those are all important things. And the darn electronic health record, which everybody focuses upon, isn't going away anytime soon but how do you better manage your time around the EHR, et cetera? So our approach is, is this holistic wellness. And uh, in that, we've got a variety of uh, educational offerings. We've got some uh, great live courses. We've got a good uh, couple of faculty that are really excelling with us there. We do the advising, as I've said before. We help people with the psychometrics. Then we have uh, online as well uh, a toolkit, and we have a set of videos that uh, people can engage with to sort of get well-rounded. And that platform really brings that sense of community and helps people share. Physicians are hesitant to share about this topic because they are worried about their reputation. They're worried about their peers. And if yet if they can do this in a more um, peer-to-peer -peer environment that's protected, then they'll open up and they'll realize they're not all alone in the world. And uh, so all of that's working very, very well for us. And uh, we're getting a good lot of, uh, a good amount of exposure uh, in terms of the successes of that program. So thank you for asking. Yep. Great. That, that is just tremendous. What you've just described in the last several answers is a organization of extraordinary depth and uh, diamondism. Um, <clears throat> I'm interested as to where AAPL is headed in the next 12 months. Can you give us some insights? 
Yeah, sure. Um, well, as I said there, you know, we're trying to create larger scale change in healthcare. So we will continue to consolidate and refine and mature all those programs and products and services that I was just describing. But more importantly, we are headed towards becoming more recognized as an influence group in healthcare, as a thought leader, and as a, an organization that really has an important voice so that we're able to influence that evolving healthcare industry. It's a complicated industry and it will always be complex. But, you know, we also talk about patient-centered care. We talk about value and value-based care. Those are terms that are easy to say, but very difficult to implement. And so, you know, the physician leaders at all levels, again, not just those in formal title roles, are the ones that really understand what value is towards patient care and that patient physician relationship is still what drives the vast majority of healthcare. 90% of healthcare is driven off that patient physician relationship. So bringing that patient centered care and value based approaches together is, is where the industry is headed and we need to be there helping to create that thought and create that influence in order for it to become more successful and increase the pace of change that's required in the industry. I think that on that happy and insightful note, I will say thank you. Our guest has been Dr. Peter Angud, CEO and President of the American Association for Physician Leadership. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a real privilege and uh, I very much appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate your time today, Dr. Angud. Thank you. Tothi, what a great way to kick off the first episode of Sound Practice in its new incarnation as a part of AAPL's professional development content portfolio. It was enlightening to hear Dr. Angood talk about some of the things that AAPL is doing and will be doing, but I was even more intrigued about the innovative projects that he's done over the years and his focus on all physicians are leaders. You know what? He's right. And we need physicians at the head of our healthcare organizations now more than ever. I think that's right. And it's the best way to achieve real change in our system and real change for patients. We really need more physicians like Dr. Angud who, who will, you know, step in and be a powerful force for innovation and creative leadership. Oh, no doubt about it. Sound Practice will now be carrying that message too. Look, I am honored to be part of supporting physicians in their leadership efforts. I'm honored to be working with you and the AAPL. So, thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed what you learned today, please tell your colleagues to listen and subscribe. Yeah, and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review us. We ask this at the end of every episode. I know everyone is busy, but that would really help us out. And so you might be asking yourself, how does one do that? How does one rate the podcast? Well, from within your podcast app, like if you use Apple Podcasts, which is what I use, or Google, click on Sound Practice in your library of podcasts, and you'll see a list of all the episodes that you've either downloaded or that are available to you. Just scroll down to the bottom, and you'll see where a link where you can write a review. I mean, it literally says that in Apple, write a review. Or you can rate us using a five-star system.
Ooh, Tothi, we really want people to give us a five star, don't we? Of course we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> rate us five stars. Seriously, we do appreciate you taking the time to rate and review us. It really, really helps us out. And if you'd prefer to give us feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast, email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. All right, folks, we are complete. Please join us for our next episode. We release one every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, but man Robin went to Kapow.